Drop B Gaming Drop B Gaming Drop B Gaming Drop B Gaming Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Drop B Gaming Podcast. Matt and I have decided now that uh, with Jamie gone, it's going to be a bit easier for us to uh, go about trying to introduce the rotating third chair, as we did last week with philosophy. Uh, we've been lucky enough this week to be joined by a, uh, a good old Australian developer, um, and I'll get on to saying g'day to Tom in a moment, but first I'll let Matt say g'day. Uh, g'day. There we go. How's that it was nice and easy. <laughs> Fantastic. That was Love cool. when a plan comes together. Yeah, exactly. What a start. All right, so as I mentioned, we've got uh, Tom, who's in our third chair this week. Tom Killen from the Voxel Agents. How are you today? Yeah, I'm doing very well, man. How are you going? Very, very well, thank you. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Uh, as, as we've you know, obviously discussed, we're going to go through just our standard weekly type segments, and then towards the end of the show, in our second half, we're going to get to know you and get to know more of the Voxel Agents and trying to figure out uh, you know, what's happening with you guys in the next uh, you know, couple of months, couple of years, future type stuff. Yeah, sounds exciting. Cool. All right, so uh, as per normal, I guess um, you know, we'll get into uh, a quick bit of uh, what we're playing at the moment. In the last week, and this podcast is coming out a little bit late because of, of me, uh, in the last week I went on holidays with my family and sat in a, uh, a little two-bedroom unit with three crazy kids running around, and I took my Xbox, of course, as I always would, and I was lucky enough to go and play some Dead Space 2. Now, <laughs> there's a funny story, and I don't know if anybody saw it on Twitter, if you follow me on Twitter, um, but... I somehow only decided to take away the first disc of the two-disc game. So, in the second night, I finished the first disc, and I was really keen to go and play the second one. I opened up the case, and the second disc wasn't in there. I'd left it at home somehow. <laughs> so that pissed me off. Uh, <laughs> so for the next couple of nights, <laughs> I ended up playing some games on uh, on my iPod um, or my iPhone, I should say. That was was nowhere near finishing off Dead Space 2, but uh, it, was, it was still a lot of good fun. So uh, that that pretty much wraps me up, I guess, for what I was playing this week. What did you play on your iPhone? Uh, I played some... Um, actually, what did I play? I was playing a bit of <laughs> reading, obviously. I was, I was doing a little bit of um, the uh, the adventure books, the game book adventures. Oh, game book adventures. Yep. Yeah, nice. yeah, they were good. Fantastic. Um, I actually did have a couple of goes of the uh, the, crank, the train conductor, Creech. Yeah, which was the uh, the Voxel agent here, of course. And then I played. I really it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's fun actually. I really enjoy playing it. Um, it looks pretty addictive. I need to pick it up, but I'm just unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> you think you'll drop it if you picked it up? Funny. <laughs> been playing some Fruit Ninja trying to get some really good scores on Fruit Ninja um, it was funny what's actually, your top score uh, in arcade it's Plains. just arcade, under 500 yeah. now so oh, shit. I got it yeah, up yeah. I think I'm only up to 300 is my highest with that but yeah yeah, yeah. I, I had a couple of good goes in the last week but it was funny my, my three year old picked it up the other day and I, I put Fruit Ninja on put it on arcade and he got up to 128 Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, he, for a three-year-old, he's just smashing the screen, you know. <laughs> and now, <laughs> at the he's end, like, <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> at the end of it, it comes up and says, you know, 128. And he, he pumps the air with his fist and goes, yeah! <laughs> it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So cute. So I had to send a, uh, a message to... Um, to, to Apple to get your phone repaired. <laughs> no, to I saw over at Half Brick. I sent him a message saying, hey, this is just what happened. So hopefully you got that message. Now, there's some YouTube video of someone with their, they've hooked it up on their iPad with their dog playing it and the dog just goes nuts on it and gets like some decent score. <laughs> yeah. It's probably kicking my ass too. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he, the dog licks the screen. It's like, oh, fruit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good now. Yeah. I'm getting quite a... Uh, quite a, a number of games on here now i've got four pages four screens on the iphone and uh yeah from uh you know, things like bejeweled which you know is a pretty standard kind of game all the way through to uh battlefield bad company 2 and hot pursuit and things like that so it's good i've got a it's, you should get dead space for the iphone apparently that's really good and it's by an australian developer i'm blanking on the name right now fantastic there's an interesting one to check out for the iPhone iPod sort of deal, which is it's called like Papa Sangre or Papa Sangri or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's it's kind of cool in that they really focus on the audio input in the game. So like the game's all all based. Well, I think the description is basically you're uh, you're the um, what do you call those things at like a party which you smash open and all the candy falls out. Pinata. Pinata. Yeah. yeah. You're a pinata at a Mexican carnival, and like, cool. all, and the only way you can react to the game is through what audio information it gives you. Like, there's no visuals. It's really cool. Yeah. Wow. That sounds pretty full on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Iron Monkey Studios. Oh, there you go. Are the ones who made Dead Space for the for the iPhone, and apparently, it's been going pretty great guns for um, reviews. I think so. Maybe pick that up. Yeah, it might be a good idea. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Well, I was looking anyway. to uh, to pick up the um, the real racing, but uh, the only place I could actually get because it's such a big file, you can't obviously download anything on the standard um, iPhone you know, connection if it's more than twenty meg. You know, real racing was about three hundred megabytes, I think, something along those lines. Yeah. So I went to the local McDonald's in Caloundra. And I sat there and, uh, and ate a bloody fish burger and um, you know, I thought I'd just you know, steal their internet for a little while, but it wouldn't even connect. Bastards. I was very upset. Yeah, I had a fish burger for nothing. Yeah, exactly. Well, you suffered through that. Caloundra. <laughs> yep, that's right. So steer clear of Caloundra if you want internet connection. It's just not worth the burger. My God. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that's me in the last uh, week. That's what I've been playing. How about yourself, Matt? Fantastic. Right, where do I begin? With last week, I started playing Dead Space 2, then I got sidetracked because I've been listening to the Trophy Horse podcast, so I decided to go back to my PlayStation 3 and try to get some trophies. Yep. So I got the Platinum for Assassin's Creed 2. Because nice. I'd, I'd already finished that game, I just needed to get some collectibles and whatnot. So I did that, and then I put in Burnout Paradise, and it tried to patch about a gig worth of patching. <laughs> which, when was the last which time down... you tried to play it? Oh, I haven't played. I I had a hard drive failure on my uh-huh, PS3 sure. about 18 months ago, and so I lost. I hadn't synced all my trophies and whatnot. So I lost all my trophies, so I ended up not giving a damn about it anymore. <laughs> and um, so I haven't played Burnout since before then. 
So I tried to patch it. It downloaded about 800 meg and then failed. <laughs> and then forced me to start again. So I was like, well, F this. So I decided to start playing Sports Champions with the move. And you have to try and get the buttons. No, I've got it. My back is killing me right now from fr- <laughs> fucking frisbee, man. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I've got about I've got about forty four percent of the trophies or something. I think so. I'm about halfway there on that one. Nice. So after you've gone to the chiropractor, you can come back and uh, sort that yep. shit out. Fantastic. Well, I finished. I finished bocce. I should have saved bocce for the last because by the time I get to the end, I'm, I'm going to have the body of a 60, 70 year old. <laughs> awesome. It's, Your girlfriend's going to be so happy me. with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, she likes it. Yeah. So, whatever. Martha, Martha <laughs> likes those old man's bodies. <laughs> Sorry, so, Ashley, uh, apart, from, <laughs> apart from that, I've been playing um, shitloads of Angry Birds on my phone. I um, On my Android phone, I've been trying to get all the stars three stars on every level so i've gone pretty well on that that's so and then easy they re- it pisses me off i've tried to do oh, the same I finished. thing it's frustrating as hell isn't it interesting well, I... with angry birds though like it almost seems like sometimes it's like you can do because it's all based on like they've got some kind of physics system behind the way the blocks interact sometimes you just get a fluky shot and you get those three stars and you weren't even planning it whereas other times you're like all right i've got to do this i've got to do this and i've got to do this mm-hmm. and you, you line yeah. it up and it just doesn't work yep. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. it gets so frustrating after a while because well, you're not playing the same one like 30 or 40 times and you know yeah. it should have worked but it just doesn't yeah, pisses uh, me off. It's Mind you, I, I, f- I finished. Oh yeah. <laughs> I f- what? What do you call? Is it like a a section of levels? There's like three. There was three sections, I think, or no, there was four sections of like twenty levels or something. Mm-hmm. They've just released a patch to add another section of levels or whatever you call it, another stage. Yep. So there's a whole new amount of them and Angry Birds seasons. The one with the Christmas oh, yeah. and Halloween ones—they've just added Valentine's Day to that. Nice. But, um, speaking of trying to do levels forty times, I was in—I I had been trying one level in particular, and I'd done it about forty odd times, forty or fifty times, and it kept stuffing it up and like not being able to get three stars. And so I had just gone out shopping for groceries and whatnot with Ashley and I wasn't in the mood for it so I whipped out my phone while I was pushing the trolley <laughs> and I was just <laughs> I'm just playing Angry Birds running into people with my trolley <laughs> and um, then Ashley asked me something right when I've sort of pulled back to release on the slingshot and I've turned and I've released and then I've looked back and it's come up three stars and I was like what the hell did what did I do <laughs> I don't even know how I beat it it's fucking just take bullshit. it man. just own it just as yours that's your <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so I've got I've become a bit of an angry birds master but um yeah there's one level that's I've I had to pass on I can't get past two <laughs> stars I'll have to come back to it yeah Hopefully I'll break my leg at work or hopefully I'll break my leg at work or something. (laughs) Yeah, it takes some time off. That's right. (laughs) While you're sitting in a yard waiting. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And the last one, the last one that I've been playing is um, Real Racing 2 by Firemint after the price drop. The sale that they've got on at the moment until the 15th, which will be probably before this 
podcast yeah. is released. Possibly. <laughs> so it'll probably be over by the time the podcast is released, but whatever. So yeah, that's so on sale. You guys. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on sale for six bucks Australian right now, and it's going to be thirteen dollars or twelve dollars when by the time this comes out. So suck it. <laughs> if you, if you, you just, read the articles, it's a really good deal. <laughs> that's right. You just missed out yeah, on a bargain. It, if you read the if you read the deals on Drop Bay, if you read the articles on Drop Bay Gaming, you would have seen it. But right. unlucky. Too bad. So it, by the way, it's a fucking incredible game. I'm really liking it. It's like Gran Turismo on an iPod. Well, that sounds pretty good. I tried Gran Turismo on the PSP and hated it. So maybe I'll just get this for the iPod. <laughs> That'll be yeah. Done. But see, so you can steer by tilting the iPhone, which is just in. It's you don't need good? a steering wheel like in well the the levels are challenging enough and there's three difficulty levels anyway so you can go easy medium or hard I'm playing on medium and I've had a few challenges but there's different like th- the things that are good about it I mean it's an iPhone game so you expect an iPhone game but then you go into it and it's just got so much scope to it like you can there's 29 we counted them before, 29 different cars that you can buy to race with. You can zoom in for a full 3D view of the car and then, you know, all that kind of superficial stuff. You can buy upgrades for your cars, like the upgrade crankshaft and wheels and tires and all that kind of stuff. And then you get into the actual game and there's six different control types, like control settings. So the d- default is touch anywhere on the screen to brake it automatically accelerates and you tilt to steer and I've got it on tilt to steer and then press on the right hand side of the screen to accelerate left for braking and this ones where you can steer by touching the screen so you don't have to tilt it and all kinds of things it's very um, open to what you you know this you know you can do what you want to enjoy it that's awesome yeah so and there's a lot of levels they've just come out with the update so you can play well I played multiplayer a bit the multiplayer you basically click multiplayer and it puts you in a lobby and then once there's enough people in the lobby people are constantly joining into the lobby as soon as there's enough you all vote for what map you want to race on and it takes you into a race there's no different race modes it's just a a race but you get you get rankings now with the latest update so you can um, get a ranking on a leaderboard and compare yourself with your friends and cool. try to beat their times and all that kind of stuff which is cool mm. It's it's got a lot of value in it and the graphics are insane for an iPhone game it's ridiculous well that sounds fantastic and like I said I'm going to try and pick that up in the next day or so as well but me being a cheapskate I'm trying to do it from my uh, US account and for some reason I'm locked out right now so I don't know what's going on with that one but I want to save an extra dollar so anyway, that's us. It's more like 95 cents. Yeah, I know. It's still enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, send one less, just send one less letter. You'll save 50 cents that way. <laughs> True. <laughs> you, you can put that 95 cents towards your next fish burger at Macca's. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yummy. You're loving it. So how about yourself, Tom? What have you been playing recently? Uh, a few games actually. Like, <clears throat> I'm more of a casual gamer myself. I play a lot of casual games. I really like small games, just because like when I play a big game, <clears throat> I'll play it for a little while, 
and then I'll look at the mechanic of what's going on, and then I'll kind of get bored of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I tend to play casual games just because I'm really into seeing different types of gameplay things going on. And so, like, one game which we've been playing, which isn't actually a new game, but it's called Zuma. You, you probably know it. And anyway, they've released Zuma on Facebook. So I've been playing that, and it's really quite fun and addictive because it's just a, like, most people know Zuma. It's like a puzzle game where you've got like these little balls coming out towards this middle point, and you've got to sort of shoot a ball at those balls to join up colors. So all the balls are different colors. Mm -hmm. And then when you get three together, they disappear. It's you a very basic idea, but it works really well. Yeah, yeah, it's really simple, but it's heaps of fun. <clears throat> the interesting thing on Facebook, though, is that they're, like you're going before about the social dynamic. For me, that social dynamic's really intense on Zuma because I got another mate who's playing it, and um, it's really quite intense between us trying to get the the best high score. <laughs> so I can see his high score while I'm playing, and you know, so I'll see that he's got eighty thousand points, and I'm like shooting for that eighty thousand points, and I'll be like seventy five thousand points, and then this notification will come up and says like your mate just got two hundred thousand points. And you're like, God damn it, this game sucks. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, other than that, um, what have I been playing? Uh, Civilization V is rocking my world. Like, oh, hell yeah. is the best game that was ever made. So, like, yeah. Civilization V, I'd still say Civ 2 is better than it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the graphics the graphics in Civ 5 are pretty amazing. Yeah. The game makes it good. <laughs> they're they're slightly like... better than Civ 2. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, slightly they're... better than Civ 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, like comparing it to Civ 4 is pretty interesting because they seem to have uh, simplified the game a bit in a good way. In that in over Civ 3 and Civ 4, they introduced a lot more dynamics and sort of game mechanics into the game, which sort of distracted you from the idea of, you know, global domination. And in Civ 5, it seems to bring you back down, well, bring you more towards that idea, like, you know, of power and military strategy. And so, yeah, yeah I, I really dig that. But I'd have to say the most significant game I'm playing at the moment is uh, Super Meat Boy. It's really good fun. Like, I've been playing this for probably about, probably coming out to two months. And over the, and for me to continuously play a game for two months is a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I love about Super Meat Boy is that it's, it's a game which, um, it, it's sort of, it's really reminiscent of those old school games you used to play on your Nintendo. Yep. And the, the the phrase which really applies to Super Meat Boy is Nintendo hard. Like this game is difficult to play. The levels are insane. And um, but what I find really interesting is that it's not so much that it is the game that was on Nintendo. It's the game you remembered was on Nintendo. And so the, the levels are like incredibly hard and the graphics are really cool. But the gameplay style is actually really advanced. So it's not like you're going back and playing Mario. It's like you're going back and reliving that experience of playing Mario because it's matured with the way you've matured as a game player. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really cool. I dig it. I, like if you haven't played it yet, grab it on Steam, grab it on however you can get it. And it's just a really good game. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree on it. It's pretty much available on most consoles now as well. Uh, PSN and Live, I'm pretty sure have it. And it's, it's not a lot. It's, I think under 10 bucks on both. Uh, and you know, I picked it up on Steam, and it, it's great. I mean, I picked it up, I think, around the Christmas sale, and it was only about two bucks. And yeah, it's yeah, it, it's fantastic. Um, you know, I was going to actually mention before that uh, you know, during that period of um, you know, of the, the Christmas sales on Steam, I uh, I got a little bit crazy, and you know, I, thought, I was in the the spending mood as you are at Christmas time. And I saw all these games coming up really cheap, and I ended up buying. What did I buy? About 20 games, I think, over the Christmas you know, two-week period when Steam had their sales. And you know, there was Battlefield Bad Company 2 was like eight dollars or something, so I bought that. I bought Crisis and all the expansion packs, and uh, Mass Effect 2, Left 4 Dead 2, Just Cause 2, Saints Row 2. You know, on and on and on. I bought all these different games, and I've only just 
the week or the actually the day before I went to go on holidays have just changed my uh, internet over to TPG's new unlimited uh, ADSL 2 so <laughs> for the next probably month straight I reckon I'll be downloading all these games that I bought from Steam that I've been too scared to download because they are just ridiculous sizes and at the time I was paying $3, $4, for all these games and didn't even consider having to download them and how much room that would take (laughs) and all this kind of stuff and now I bought uh, Saints Row 2 for $2.95 thinking how awesome that is going to be and then as soon as it it, is there for me to download it's a 14 gigabyte download for this game yeah exactly and I was like oh fuck I can't even download that it's it's gonna destroy me so now I've gone unlimited I'm just gonna click all of them and go download and come back in two weeks and hopefully they're all done so (laughs) TPG's gonna fucking hate me (laughs) suckers uh, another game, another game I'd give a shout out to is Osmos, um, especially the iPad version of the game. Like there is like a PC Mac version of it, but get the iPad version. Just it really rocks. Just like because Osmos is an indie game, and it's sort of like your little bubbles or like cells. I don't know what you are. It's kind of interesting, but you, you're something. You're like a circle that moves you're around. Definitely and, a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah you're, you're something. You exist. Philosophically, <laughs> 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 yeah. you're an amoeba. But, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. But like, you, you sort of you ex- to, to move, you've got to expel part of yourself. So you get smaller as you move, and your objective is to consume other things which are smaller than you. And so it's an it's a really interesting dynamic because like to, to actually eat something to to get bigger, you've got to make yourself smaller. So it's a real risk wow. reward balance going on, which is really interesting. But just like the interaction works really well on the iPad. Um, and yeah, like the, the, the PC and Mac versions are interesting as well. But I just think like as an iPad game, it's amazing. It's And, you know, support indies. This is a really good indie game. And just the game mechanics are, in, are amazing. Like, you know, it's a really good game to try out. I just have more time for casual games than I do for... Yeah, big you know, games. Like I've been playing sports champions, but that's because I've been pissing Ashley off out of the house so that I can play it. <laughs> <laughs> good idea. It's just... It's just easier, like you're laying in bed for five minutes before you get up, so you whip out Angry Birds or... Right, is that what they're calling it nowadays? Yeah, the the yellow one. The yellow one that when you touch it, it shoots really fast. (laughs) That's that's just a problem that I have to deal with. That's right. You just keep going to the shrink. It's all good. It just explodes when you touch it. (laughs) You should be able to get some tablets. Um, yeah, there's a cream for that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. But no, I, I but, completely yeah. agree. Like, you know, the the beauty of having you know, a, a mobile that you know, is just so games orientated nowadays, it, it's with you constantly. So when you've got a minute or five minutes of downtime, whether you are waiting in a queue or you've just ordered a coffee, so you go and stand in the corner, you know, whatever, you can just pull out your phone and just play a game for two, three minutes. And it's... That's real magic of it. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. And you know, it's something that uh, I piss my wife off with constantly because, you know, it, it's always there. It's always next to me. And I've, I've always pick up my phone and just start mucking around with it. Whether I am playing yeah. a game or I'm checking emails or whatever's happening, um, it's always a constant, you know, focus. So when I do have a couple of minutes alone... You know, 
whether it's between meetings or whatever, I can just grab my phone and you know, play some Angry Birds or have a quick race, you know, or whatever needs to be done. And there's so many different genres that you can you know, use on the the, uh, the mobile apps. So it's fantastic. Well, it's an it's an interesting topic since we're on it, and it's not on the agenda. I'll just, just shoot into it anyway. <laughs> someone said, um, I, I read somewhere recently that someone made the observation, and it's a pretty good obser- observation, I think, that um, you know iPhones and Androids, they're already in your pocket with these awesome games. Like I, I just finished saying how awesome the graphics are on Real Racing. The graphics are better than a PSP game and they're better than a DS game, right? So the 3DS is coming out and the NGP are coming out, but we've already got these awesome lightweight gaming consoles sitting in our pocket already. Mm-hmm. And someone made the observation that maybe these, maybe this is the last death knell of hand, handheld consoles. On the flip side, you look at the, there's a PSP phone coming out soon where they're sort of marrying the two. Like it's designed as like a high-end gaming device, but it's also an Android phone. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. that, that's like, you know, they're sort of converging in some sense, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that adds, it's basically a slidey phone with a, with PlayStation configuration controls rather than a, a keyboard, like a slide out keyboard. They remove the keyboard and put that controlling on there, which adds, it adds like at the moment you can play iPhone games that have controls that are just overlaid on the screen and I guess that's a pet peeve of some people not being able to see what you're doing and whatnot but I just I don't find that as an issue oh it really annoys me when you get like a d-pad on an iPhone or something like when they just make the um, analogy of a d-pad on the screen because like a big part of the button is that you can feel that you're pressing the button Mm -hmm. and so I find when you can't feel where you are what you're pressing it really you know it means that the d-pad doesn't make sense on an iPhone so yeah, yeah like I've seen it being it, it, like uh, a couple of games have done it effectively using joystick sort of controls, but I've never really seen an effective D-pad game on the iPhone. Like yeah. it just sort of seems like they're applying an old paradigm to a new new system, and yeah, yeah they should they should step away from it and come up with like a better input mechanic, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's a little but, bit of laziness. A little no, bit laziness lazy. is it. Laziness is it. Yeah, and you know I can kind of you know, expand that even further to the having the connect. You know the the problem with having the connect over. You know, something like you know, Matt was talking about with the move is you don't have that kind of realness of holding something like a lot of the mm, games tactile. yeah that's right I mean you you know the the move controls have feedback don't they do they have rumble yeah they they rumble yeah, yeah well you don't have anything like that and there's you know games like uh, you know sports games and stuff where you're throwing or catching or whatever on the connect just don't really work like you know playing a game of, uh, of uh, table tennis or something on there it's just, you're just swinging your hands around there's no you know point of contact when you hit the ball or anything like that because obviously you, you don't get any feedback so it, it's just I'm not sure if it rumbles when you're playing table tennis but um, it, it definitely has rumble yeah <laughs> since you mentioned table tennis <laughs> oh no I'm, I'm just using that as an example but uh, yeah. you know, I find that the same I mean you know the, the Battlefield Bad Company the EA game on my on my iPhone um, you know, graphics wise it's good and the playability kind of suffers because it forces you to use the screen in you know, kind of a, a d-pad you know kind of dual um, dual contro- controller type you know thing and it just doesn't work 
because it's just it's not there you can't feel it there's no limitation of how high you can push or you know things like that which you would have if you had an actual controller in your hand so i find that kind of you know, frustrating one thing i did notice in real racing there's a setting a setting for turning vibration on and off i play on my ipod touch so it doesn't have vibrate but that that seems like an interesting because phones obviously have vibrate yeah so i guess if you slam into a wall or something it vibrates or maybe if you spin out on a corner it might start vibrating cool which adds to the anyway carry on well, hopefully i'll be able to <laughs> check that a, out if i don't keep getting locked just out addicted to this addicted. <laughs> it's like crack fantastic i'm sure fireman's really happy that you just called their game crack <laughs> so <laughs> the, the kids all love it the parents won't that's right <laughs> and there's a guy selling it out the front of every school right now Carry on. Let, I what's went, the I first agenda? We're not even into the agenda yet. We've done intro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. All right. So under the agenda, let's just kick off. So 3DS. Uh, yeah, the 3DS had a bit of an announcement during the week. Uh, it was something that um, Matt was following quite closely, uh, as were a lot of people. There is another article up about this on the Dropper Gaming website, but uh, Matt. If you want to let us know the details of that, uh, Nintendo's Australian arm have run a press conference to announce the pricing, the price point, and some of the release, uh, the launch titles for the 3DS. It's going to be $349.95 Australian, which is not a bad price. A lot of people tipped $350. Yeah, so, I still don't I agree just, though. I think it's a bit too do, much. Do you think that's a bit steep? Yeah. Like, it kind of feels it's, like that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot to be charging for a, these days. It's a lot to be charging for a handheld yeah. device. Mm-hmm. That's not like, you know, Especially it's not even you already have, Yeah, you already have an iPhone in your pocket. Well, that's the thing. Like I mean, I the only before. thing that, I've said this before, the only thing that really the, the 3DS is bringing now is having 3D. Apart from that, it's... And remaking a heap of classics like Ocarina of Time and Kid Icarus and stuff well, that's like the thing. that. I mean, yeah, if you don't really care for it to be in 3D, you could just pick up a DS. Yeah. And the DS... I, I really question what the 3D is bringing to it. Like, it hmm. sort of feels like with all these 3D movies and stuff and 3D TV, it's, it's a gimmick. Like, I, I might be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong, but I don't see what it's going to add to the gameplay. It just adds to the visual wow. That's right. Yeah. And I don't think exactly. that, you know, bringing that out and adding an extra 200 bucks on the price over the normal DS is going to... They're improving the graphics, though, as well. It's not like... Yeah, but that's 3D. the thing. It's, it's not going to be DS graphics. It's going to be better than DS. But it's and, still as just well as you know, 3D. an improvement yeah, to the graphics, and that's all. But it's not $200 yeah. of value, I don't think. And then you're looking at... Oh, they've know, added an analog stick. They added an analog stick. Yes. So now it's the, the, P- the original PSP with 3D and a touchpad that's right basically mm-hmm. pretty neat alright so uh, you know, put that one to bed and I guess we can uh, move on to the next topic um, it came to light during the week that the DC Universe Online uh, which is currently available on the um, the PlayStation 3 obviously and, and PC and PC and Mac <laughs> as far as I understand. It's, you know, your MMO played online. Obviously, it's a a big universe, multiple players. They said originally when they brought it out that it would be the same price point pretty much worldwide. 
and that's now been for subscription yeah for subscription, subscription sorry and now that that is happening um you know the first month was free so now they're actually you know subscriptions are, are you know, people who are continuing to play are actually being you know are paying for that right i suppose and it turns out that it's not the same price point and it's actually you know kind of a, a significant amount um from what i've read i believe it's about five bucks a month so extra extra yep to, to play from australia um which kind of pisses me off because you know well i don't have the game but i was actually going to purchase it uh it's a game that a lot of my friends play a lot of my mates in america playing this game currently and i thought it'd be a good game to pick up you know once all the bugs of you know at least the first month are sorted out all the server updates uh you know running smoothly and a lot of the people who would have just picked it up just to have a go kind of drop off a little bit then it'll be a good solid game to pick up and play but for an extra 60 bucks a year just to be able to play it i mean you know that's half the price of a new game and over a 12 month period it doesn't sound like a lot but for christ's sake you know our dollar's worth more than the us dollar today anyway so why are we currently yeah it was uh what was it yesterday morning it was a dollar and one cent and today i think it was about the same so if it's not more it's pretty much identical so why the fuck are you paying more yeah, it's an interesting issue because like I sort of see two sides to it. Like on the one hand, when I buy a game on Steam and it costs a lot more in Australia than it does in America, that really annoys me and it kind of bothers me. But on the flip side, you kind of want stability in what you're paying. Like I kind of want to know, like if, if I had a subscription to an MMO, I'd want to be paying the same amount every month so I knew what I was paying. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's their motivation. Like, you know, I, I sort of see like, you know, they their point of view, I, to be the devil's advocate, their point of view is that they'd rather have stability than fairness, if you know what I mean. But yeah, it still it leaves a it leaves a bad taste in the mouth when that sort of thing goes on. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, I agree. You know, I can kind of understand it, but it's still frustrating, and it's something that we face on a daily basis. And uh, you know, having so many friends over in the states now, and even you know through through you know UK and places like that, I mean, they're paying a fraction of what we pay for games, and yeah, it, it's just so yeah, frustrating. So, next topic. Next topic uh, is Half Brick with the uh, Rascals um, game on Xbox Live. Xbox Live. Uh, brought, Xbox. Xbox. Um, they <laughs> brought out the uh, the update, which had some uh, some extra features, uh, some extra things. DLC. DLC type it stuff. It was DLC, wasn't it? Yes, it was. The reinforcements. It was called. It had four extra players. Uh, it also added a few extra um, uh, Grand Prix type modes to it as well. So there was, if it was a good DLC update, it had some interesting stuff in it. But to celebrate that, it's cheap too. 160 Microsoft points. Yeah, exactly. Which, How much is that? Is that like two dollars? Uh, yeah, two dollars fifty, something like that. So it's, it's pretty cheap. So not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, so that was worth a pickup, but uh, on the back of that, you, you know, to celebrate, I suppose, Halfbrick also announced that um, if you went and logged onto their www.halfbrick.bandcamp.com website, which is just you know, a, a side entry, I suppose, to the standard halfbrick.com website, um, you could get the soundtrack as a free download for your PC. Now, the 
soundtrack came with a fair few tracks. There was about 24 or 28 tracks on it. Some of them were quite mm-hmm. small, um, you know, 15 seconds to 30 seconds. Some of them were up to two or three minutes, but it was just basically the music from the games. So, you know, if you were into your game, uh, I guess you, know, you could go in there. And what they did was they gave you the option to you know, put your price on it. So if you thought it was worth 50 cents, you'd pay 50 cents to get it. If you thought it wasn't actually worth anything and you put zero dollars, then it wouldn't cost you anything and you could just download it. But they gave you the ability to actually put in your own amount. So, and going to that site, to the .bandcamp site, you can actually have access to all of the other soundtracks that they've done as well for all of their other games. Except for Fruit Ninja. Yeah, except for Fruit Ninja. But uh, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting concept, just to to offer a little bit back, you know, give give back to the people who are actually playing the games. Yeah, no, I love Heartbreak. They're one of the coolest Australian companies that exist. <laughs> They're really good. Like, didn't you sort of... used to work for them? No, I didn't. But um, Simon Jocelyn, who's one of the other voxel agents, he, he used to be a designer there, and like, uh, you know, mates with Luke Muscat and like, you know, the dudes who were working at Heartbreak. I know a lot of them, and they're, they're really great guys. Like, they're sort of um, you know, even though it's a fairly large company, I, I'm not sure exactly how many people work there. It's a fairly large company, but they've still got a really sort of indie, you know, cool feel to them. And mm-hmm. and like ultimately, like Heartbreak are cool because they're about making cool games. You know, they're not they're not your evil games company they're they're a really cool company and like you know they do this sort of thing where they give out the soundtrack and it's just it's just awesome like i love outbreak moving on moving on so our last topic i guess uh very quickly uh wasn't wasn't quick one. really put on the agenda i guess but uh is worth a mention um is that uh activision have you know decided to clean house a little bit uh they've uh they've axed two titles from uh and 500 employees yes 500 um, unlucky uh, people yeah. which is probably something that the uh, the agents will be probably you know, concerned about as well I mean you, know, you you guys wouldn't want to ax 500 of your employees at any time soon would you well if we no. had them, we wouldn't ax, no. <laughs> <laughs> you could just you could just fire each other and then yeah. rehire each, That's rehire right. each other hey guys we'll fire hey. <laughs> today Simon you fired Matt you can stay that's right. Tom, you're on thin ice. <laughs> Just don't give out any redundancies. Yeah. Yeah. Could be bad. So so they've um they've cancelled the guitar hero line, unfortunately. Mm. And as far as I understand as well, they're uh they're doing something with um Tony Hawk as well. But their details on that are kinda of sketchy. Oh, a big loss to the gaming world. No more Tony Hawk skating <laughs> games. Well, from what I understand, there's been 15 in the last 10 years Tony Hawk games, and that's that's actual separate titles. That's just not you know three of the same on different consoles. There's 15 different Tony Hawk games. So, you know, it's probably getting a little bit old in the tooth. But you've got to give it credibility because it, it has sparked a massive genre of games. You know, all those yeah, games that's have, have come from the very first Tony Hawk Pro Skater. So, but maybe it is oh, well. to bed. They uh, they can bad. still revive it in the future, I think. Yeah, They'll probably. still own the rights. Well, that that's so, pretty poor, much going to wrap up yeah. our news for this week, I think. I think we've had enough of the uh, the news topics. Yeah. Um, 
and say goodnight to guitar hero and turn it off. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to go into have a bit of a break. Um, I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, have a bit of a chat with Dino Raw, who are looking to bring out a new game very soon, which we'll be talking about. So hang in through the break and have a listen to our chat. Hello and welcome. It's uh, it's Lucas here from Dropout Gaming, obviously. Um, during the break of this week's podcast, we're having a chat with uh, Joe Hookins, uh, who's one of the um, the project coordinators and the sound designer at Dino Raw. Joe, welcome aboard, mate. Uh, welcome to Dropout Gaming. How's it going? Very good. And how's, how's yourself? Yeah, I'm quite well. Quite well. First podcast. We've got your on the show today basically uh, to have a bit of a chat about the new things that are happening at Dino Raw. Um, I was lucky enough to you know, have a bit of a, a conversation with Eileen a while ago about the um, the memory loss game when that first came out and we've just seen that uh, there's a new trailer out or a teaser I suppose you want to call it for the new game that you guys are working on which is called Samurai Training. Mate, if you could just walk us through some of the things that uh, you, know, you do with the game, uh, some of the things that you know, we can expect from the game, some of the playabilities, those types of things. Okay. Well, basically, there's four stages. The first three are sort of uh, training various uh, techniques of sort of martial art. And then the, the fourth stage is uh, facing off against the, the samurai master. The first game, you are um, sort of learning how to punch. You've got things flying at you, and you're sort of hitting them away. How then do you do that? Is that by moving the? Uh, uh, it's, it's, by, it's just by um, touching the screen. Okay. A bunch of different objects flying at you, and you've got to sort of hit them before they hit you. Yep. The next stage is kicking training, and it's kind of like I suppose those sort of uh, shooting games where you have a bunch of bad guys kind of popping up on like cardboard sort of cut out things. Oh, yeah. You've got to kick them down. Mm-hmm. So like the old school uh, you know, arcade type titles. I'm not sure if there's going to be like the old classic, uh, you know, there's always the, the object that pops up that you're not really supposed to hit. Yep. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's going to really make it in, but I wouldn't mind a couple of chickens kind of pointing out or something. <laughs> getting destroyed by a little roundhouse kick. <laughs> um, That'd be a nice sound bite that you could throw in there. Or an old lady or, you know, I don't know. Something, something and, I don't know how um, many people will actually, you know, purposefully go for the roundhouse kick for that one. Yeah. But, uh, yep. So, yeah, then the next stage. Yeah, that, one, that one's also a sort of touchscreen controlled. So there'll be some sort of gesture that performs a kick and which uh, needs to be performed in the right spot. I'm not sure if there's going to be you know, multiple types of kicks. I know yep. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and sure. The third stage, you're kind of facing off against a, um, a, a dummy, kind of like one of those, just a, a training dummy that's um, like almost a, like a, a uh, scarecrow sort of thing. Okay, yep. Yeah. This is the uh, guy that you have to practice some combos on. Yep. Because I think that the combos are the main, the main form of attack against the master in the in the final showdown. So, if you don't know how to do combos, then you won't be able to defeat the master. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, 
Yeah, so the the dummy will teach you um, to perform combos of punches and kicks. Yep. And um, any other kind of move that we decide to put in the game. Okay, and oh, that sounds then good. the master, you just, just have to throw everything at you. And he's also throwing moves back. Yeah. So there'll be a bit of a, a different challenge in that one. Yeah, it sounds kind of interesting. Uh, it, it sounds like a, a bit of a combination of a, a couple of games that are currently out uh, and being put into a, you know, a, a progression you know, so that you use those further along instead of just being basically about one type of mechanic and you know, it, it just moves you along through different stages. This is adding extra bits to you know, create a more of a whole kind of approach to the game. That sounds kind of interesting. I guess it's sort of influenced by that. I don't know if you've played WarioWare, but all those kind of, you know, the mini games. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of bit of influence from that style of gaming with the, like a little variety of different types of challenges, I guess. Yep, that so. sounds good. It sounds good. And being the sound designer, uh, yeah. what types of things are you bringing to the game? You know, apart from, you know, is it just more music or is it more just, you know, I guess, sound bites or a combination of the whole lot? Well, of course, there's a uh, gong sound effect in there, which I have to mention first. <laughs> um, I should hope so. Yeah, so there's a nice fat gong in there. Uh, that's the only sound effect that's actually made its way into the... Well, that, that, that's in the, in the intro and it'll probably feature a couple more times but yeah all I've really done so far is the the actual music from the levels and you know the intro menu that sort of thing and but yeah I haven't really uh, made any of the, the sound effects for the actual game but hopefully there'll be some kind of bouncy fun fun sound mm-hmm. effects all all throughout because I think I don't know if even if you have really the, the best music in the world you need a few good sound effects to kind of bring some of the action alive yeah for sure yeah but i think the music part uh will probably is music is really my my strong point over the sound effects but yeah sound effects won't be too shabby (laughs) well i guess that that makes me want to ask two questions you know firstly did you do the sound for the trailer that's out for that teaser uh i didn't do the music for that actually no because i was wondering if that's going to be you know featured during the game but by the sounds of things it's it was a separate uh project no, um, I don't know, Eileen sourced that, that music, but yeah, that was a pretty uh, extremely epic sort of uh, piece of music there. It was, yeah. I know, the, the kind of music I'm going for is more of, I'm, just, I'm trying to go for a Japanese style, obviously, because of Samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, so the music's going to be a little more playful, sort of more melodic, and I've been listening to a lot of the music from um, the PlayStation 2 game Okami, Oh yeah, the soundtrack of it's five discs. Wow! So I've I've listened to a little bit of that, not necessarily for ideas for melodies or anything like that, but just to sort of listen out for the types of uh, instruments they they use in that sort of Japanese music. I really love that. I don't know when you have really simple music, but it's you can listen to it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like um, you know, for instance, the um, Mario Brothers theme song. Uh, which everyone in the world knows. It's, it's uh, you know, you could listen to that for hours and it just doesn't really get too repetitive because there's a few different parts and 
I know that's what I hope to achieve with my music. Yeah, because um, I was going to ask about that. I mean, that's obviously quite a big, uh, you know, part to making music for any game. Really, is that it's not repetitive. It can be played as, I guess, a background to the to the visuals, and it's you know, it adds to that. It doesn't take away from it, and you know, it, it just doesn't bore people to not want to play the game anymore. Mm. I'm sure that's a massive challenge that you have to face. Well, hopefully I'm not going to find it too hard, but yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of, there's some games out there that do have annoying music that you can't really listen to for too long. And it's maybe they've chosen the wrong kind of style or, but yeah, I think the music is personally for me, it's one of the most important things when it, when it comes to a game, because yeah, it really, it's one of the things that really sticks in your mind. And I think that's why there's a lot of people um, on the net that are just completely obsessed with video game soundtrack tracks, mm-hmm. yep. me being one of them. You know, like when you, years later, after you've played a game, you might never play it again. You might not even remember what the gameplay was like when it comes to the specifics, but you can remember some of the music that was in it. And if you hear that, it'll instantly transport you back to some part of that, that game. Yeah, so, well, that's that's definitely very true. And I'd, I'd have to completely agree with that that statement. I mean, a perfect example, like you mentioned, was uh, you know, Mario and the original Mario Brothers soundtrack. Mm. That is, it's just Mario. You hear that anywhere and... Yeah. You know, you, your brain doesn't wander. You don't ask why or you don't ask, you know, what's that from? You know, it's just Mario. That's the way yeah. it is. Yeah, um, uh, that's got to be one, one of the most uni- universally recognizable pieces of music in the world. Yeah. And But people, when they hear that, or rather when someone says Mario Brothers and someone, the next person kind of processes that, they don't think, hmm, yeah, level four, uh, there was a turtle. <laughs> about You walk about five meters, there's a turtle there. They don't that's right. Yeah. They don't think about like jumping or breaking bricks. Yep. They think about the Mario Brothers song. That's yeah. true. Um, yeah. So I don't think everyone's that aware of the uh, influence that or the effect that that music has on people in, in games. But yep. it has an effect. Oh, definitely. I think it'll have one with this one because I rather like the music I've made so far. So Fantastic. I think oh, it'll be. Um, it'll make for pleasant playing. Good. Oh, looking forward to. Uh... To having to listen to it now um as i guess the the project coordinator hat now uh putting that hat on what um you know, how big is the team that's working on it and what you know challenges do you face in making sure that everyone's going in the right direction and making sure that everyone's on track okay well at the moment the team is it's we don't have the whole team working on it we've just got pretty much just the artists mm-hmm. um myself uh, Charissa, Dennis, the three of us at the moment making, you know, the music. Charissa and Dennis are doing the art. So Dennis is doing things like some animation for the little intro, some of the uh, the characters and things like that. Charissa is doing some of the the other art backgrounds, etc. So it's really just in the creative phase, I guess you'd say. Yep. We haven't begun to to put all this stuff together. Um, so hopefully, um, within a week or two, um, Bricks is going to get a hold of all the art material and begin to follow Eileen's directions and sort of meld it into a, into game form. Yep. And then we'll just, um, sort of see how that goes and just, uh, you know, add or take away 
new sort of gameplay ideas as it as it goes along. Sure. Yeah. So it's still I don't know. Well, the game is supposed to be ready within a couple of months, two or three months. So. So you're looking at a release date uh, you know, towards the middle of the year or slightly before? Um, yeah, around around then. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I guess it depends how long we want to tweak the gameplay for. I mean, yeah, really, of course. So, sort of, or how much stuff you want to add, you could go forever. But well, exactly. And you know, they always say that you, know, you could continue to try and make it perfect in your eyes, but you know, as a developer of a game, it probably will never be exactly what you want it to be yeah because as as it progresses there's always things that you probably want to add or subtract or you know just tweak a little bit but mm. you know, once you put it out to market that's where you you really judged i guess in a lot yeah, of ways yeah. so yeah eileen does have um schedules yeah i've seen them i've seen them and uh she likes to stick to them so um hopefully it won't uh I don't think it's going to drag out too long because of that. She's tough. <laughs> That's fair enough. Whoever boss has got to be in a way. Yeah. So it's good that she's uh, yeah, she's organised like that. Make sure everyone's on time. So I suppose uh, you, we, were, we were mentioning before we started recording that you, know, you currently don't have a you know, what I call the the mobile gaming devices, the you know the HTCs and the um, you know, the iPhones and the iPads and those types of things. I guess what what have you personally taken out of creating a game for these devices um, without really having a lot of experience with with using them or using the app stores and those types of things? Just being part of this has sort of blown my mind because I didn't. Yeah, I don't have a, an iPhone, so I haven't been so exposed to all all the millions of games that are out there that everyone besides me seems to have so (laughs) coming from a sort of console gaming background i guess i really am appreciative now of i don't know how much of a big place sort of mobile gaming and you know in particular like iphone gaming how much of a big place it has in gaming in general these days well it seems to be nowadays uh, it it is Almost the, the big games that are created for consoles and for PCs have a mini port, in in a way, I suppose, lack of a better term, for one of the uh, you know, HTCs or the um, you know, or the the iPhone. I mean, EA brings out a hell of a lot of games on uh, on the iPhone. Um, mm-hmm. you know, things like um, Battlefield Bad Company 2, which mm-hmm. I actually own on the Xbox and on my PC. And on uh, on the iPhone, I mean, it's not anywhere near as good. Obviously, the controls are pretty clumsy and things like that, but it's still there. So if you yeah. are a hardcore fan of the game, then uh, you know you can take it on the go with you. Well, I think there's um, Resident Evil 4 on iPhone, isn't there? And yep. Dead Space. There's, I think there's a new Dead Space. Yeah, there is a Dead Space. Yeah, I think I saw a there's a Mirror, Mirror's Edge game as well. I'm not sure if it was anywhere as good looking is the the dead space one but yeah they're, they're all the same that's fair enough oh that yeah. sounds pretty good so you know as a bit of a uh, mad keen uh, gamer and somebody who's really interested in what's happening with the the mobile and uh, indie developers in australia i'm really looking forward to getting this out uh, we've just put up an article on the website uh, so come over and have a bit of a, a look at the game 
uh, while it's you know, it's in its development. And uh, you know, I'm for one really happy that we've had a chance to talk to Joe today. So, mate, thank you very much for for coming on board. Thanks for having me, Lucas. No problem at all. I'll hope to talk to you again, you know, possibly when the game's you know, either just coming out or. Lovely. Cheers, mate. All right. Okay, so welcome back to uh, the second half of the show. There will be a uh, article going up very shortly from Matt about the new game. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That'll be going up in the next day or so. Or, well, I guess by the time this podcast comes out, it will be out already. But yeah, have a good read of it. It'll be interesting. So as you've heard uh, from Tom, you know, some really good insights into the, uh, the industry and you know, some some very big things are going to be happening obviously in the next coming months and years so now i guess what we'd like to do is uh, is have a bit of a chat to tom about what's happening in his life um what's happening with the the voxel agents and uh just you know get to know him and what he's doing a little bit more so i guess as a first one just to to kind of break the ice on asking you a question what actually drove you to getting into developing games and and the industry Uh, for me it really goes way back like when i was a kid we my dad brought home like it was like one of those old commodore 64s and and like the way you used to make games on those was you had all like basic scripts so you know the language was basic and you sort of had to type up the games yourself like unless you're lucky enough to also have this disc reader so you could put it like a floppy disk into it to read off the game we didn't have that we didn't have that accessory so for us to get games into the computer we'd have to like type it all in and then you know we'd have a game there which we could play and so my dad used to like download games off the internet which would mean that he'd go to his work which had the internet at that stage and he'd download like the 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 the, the code for the game and we'd sit up there and just type it into the computer and so that, that's basically what world. we started when I was like really young. And um, I started, uh, after a little while, I started trying to hack it just to give myself more lies or more power or whatever. And so, you know, I started like learning how to, how to screw with the, with the code of the game to make my, to make my, you know, to make me, myself more powerful, to make my own cheats. And so that, again, that then transitioned to me, like sort of modding the games to, you know, be, be the game that I wanted them to be. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of where it started, like when I was really young. But um, after that, I like, went to uni and I studied at uni and did uh, two degrees, one in like design, one in software engineering. And then from that, got into, you know, this indie thing, which I'm doing now, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, like it, it's been since, since I was a kid. So, you know, for me, like being a gamer has always been about, you know, making games as much as it's been about playing games. Like I, I like to... I like to break them. Like when I was talking about civilization before, I, I, I found out like some sort of debug thing you could do, how you could choose to be any any one of the players you wanted. You could change which player you were and change different game variables. And I've always like been really fascinated with that sort of process, mostly to try and get my own advantage in these games. So I, can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I guess my, my history as a cheater made me into a game. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough, because I mean, I remember the, the old days where you had to do things like that, and then you know, on the Commodore, they, they brought out the tape drive, where yeah. you could eventually just you know, run the tape for 20 minutes to, to put all that code into the machine, and you didn't have to type it anymore. So it's, much easier. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. But thank God technology's gotten faster. We don't have to yeah. now wait, because imagine all the uh, uh, the you know, 16 gig of information you'd need to load to be able to play some games <laughs> off a tape. On the old tape drive. Now, <laughs> yeah. now, now you just have to wait an hour for your PS3 to patch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. I guess nowadays it'll be real to real. 
That'd yeah. be fun. So, <laughs> but that's fantastic. Um, you know, when you went to university, did you decide that uh, you, know, you wanted to get into games specifically? Yeah, well, the, the course was um, partially structured to be a games development course. So it wasn't it wasn't explicitly a games development course, but that was one of the you know the outcomes you could get from this degree. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is going back um, two thousand and two, so there weren't really very many. I'm not sure if there were any game specific courses back then and so it was like a little bit of a pioneer so like when we're going into it a lot of the content was pertinent to like new media like any forms of interactive media but those ideas still come back into games and so um, like I, I studied up there with both Matt, Matt Clark and Simon Jocelyn who were the other two uh, founding Voxel agents and we all did the same degree back up in Brisbane and like while we were there we talked we like even while I was still at uni we would we would talk about how we wanted to start making our own games and how we'd want to start our own indie studio at some stage. But we kind of recognized that we didn't have the um, industry experience or, or I guess the, the practical experience of making games outside of the university context. So between us, we sort of, we all had this discussion that we'd, you know, we'd, we'd move outside of uni and get jobs at, at proper, you know, official games development studios and do that for a few years before we actually started up our own shop. And that's what we did. So, you know, so like, we, we always had this ambition to get into the games industry. We always had this ambition to make indie games. But, um, you know, the, the course itself wasn't specifically tailored towards making games. And we also recognize that a lot of making games is practical experience. Like, there's only so much you can learn from the uni course. You've really got to, you know, get your hands dirty and actually make games. Like, as an industry, it's so based upon what can you actually do. Not 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 what do you, what have you learned. It's based on what have you done. So, yeah, that's kind of how it all functions. So, I, I guess you just mentioned that uh, you, know, you all went to university up here. Um, yeah, yeah, in, in Brisbane. In Brisbane, um, is there a reason why you decided to set up shop in Victoria, in Melbourne, or did, did it just work that way? Uh, there were a few reasons. Um, like probably, probably the most significant reason is that we all kind of love Melbourne. Like, mm. no, nothing, nothing against Brisbane. I think Brisbane's a great town. <laughs> I think I love. <laughs> it's just like the, the indie community down, the indie gaming community down here is really strong. Like, you've got the IGDA, like the uh, what's it called, the International Game Developers Association down here is quite significant. And like, there, there's dozens of indie developers all doing their own thing, all making their own games, and it's a real culture of making games which is uh, what we wanted to be part of. So that, that was one of the primary reasons. Um, you know, it's also because Melbourne's just like a kind of um, quirky creative town, which is cool. Not, not that Brisbane isn't, but Melbourne really has that vibe going on about making, you know, it, it's got a real sense of community and networking in its approach to how it's done. Like that community exists in Brisbane, but it's a lot more vibrant in Melbourne. Like it's sort of the, it's, it's becoming the hub for indie development in Australia. Yeah, well, I mean, it, as you know, Drop Bear Gaming, we've noticed it a lot more. You know, from Victoria than anywhere else, and you know, we're... since Chrome, since Chrome shut down in Brisbane, yeah, yeah, they did used to be. It almost used to be about equal between Brisbane and Melbourne in terms of which was the centre. But like Brisbane got a hit, got hit a fair bit harder during the recent you know financial troubles than Melbourne did. So that that's pretty much what changed it. With, with the Voxel agents, is it just the three of you? Originally, you have... it was uh, myself, Matthew Clark, and Simon Johnson. Like we started it up about two years ago. Um, but we've had people on board who help us out a lot, like Joel Jocelyn, who is Simon's brother, helps us out with music and sound. And like, if, if you've played Train Conductor or Train Conductor 2, you know, the sound's pretty awesome. Like, mm-hmm. we've got all these kick-ass tracks which are written for the game. So he's helped us out a lot there. We've had Derek Pritchard and Logan Dahl, they helped make the games, uh, they helped make the art style for Train Conductor 1, and Derek helped out with Train Conductor 2 as well. So there's been a few people who have been like, you know, attached to the Voxel Agents and you know, our Voxel Agents like as well. Like outsourcing. 
Uh, oh, well, we have them contracting on, but like, you know, they really are, you know, they're part of the team, you know, like they are Voxel agents. Oh, yeah. And um, like, but it, just in, since uh, the start of this year, we've actually expanded our, you know, our official full-time crew to five. So we've got Henrik Patterson and Yang Tian Lee, who are two people who have joined us on. Like uh, Tian, she's helping out with the art. Well, she's a brilliant artist. And uh, Henrik, who is also from Brisbane, actually, but he's moved down here to join us. And um, he's a really good game designer, really exciting game designer. So, um, yeah, so we're now, we're now five official Voxel agents and, you know, plus Excellent. a number of other agents who are sort of helping out every now and helping out in different places so, yeah. cool so what what is your role in like do you guys share the three of you the three key voxel agents do you guys just share responsibilities do you each have specific focuses yeah like in the company we we it's an interesting question to ask actually because we're a really small company like it's only five of us full time so it's a really small team yeah. like which is great, we love it. But at the same time, it means that the roles, the division of roles becomes very important. So, you know, how do we divide up these roles? And we, we did up a big list uh, probably 18 months ago of all the different tasks that we identified that need to be covered. And there was something like 49 tasks that we found that needed to be covered by someone. So obviously when you're splitting that between, at the time, three people, there's going to be a lot of, you know, overlap and like division of roles so like you know uh, looking at the company like i spend my my primary role is programming and developing these games but like in this small company it's sort of like you're shifting hats a lot so you've really got to be pretty agile in what you're doing and um yeah so we try to keep it as constrained as possible so that you know there's someone who is responsible for a certain issue but given that there's so few people there is so much overlap and it's really like a, a really enjoyable but at the same time really stressful <laughs> situation where you've got a lot of different things you've got to be on top of just because we're so few people trying to do so much so yeah it's cool it's good fun yeah i can imagine it would be and a little bit stressful sometimes too yeah. oh it gets that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it tends to go in ways so like um you know, so like when we're when we're pushing out when we're pushing out a game, we're trying to release some content. Then I'll be pretty much programming the whole time. When it's like when we're Crunch doing time. marketing phase, we'll take on a different role. When you know you're trying to, it's sort of it shifts over different periods. So you know, whatever the priorities at the time, whatever the immediate goal is, you sort of just shift on board to that. And so you've got to you've got to be a bit nimble on your feet. <laughs> so yeah, the the name the Voxel Agent. <laughs> Where did it come from? I mean, it's it's a great catchy name. And I understand a little bit about what a, an actual voxel is, but why the name? Where did it come from? And all those types of things. Um, well, we're actually a bunch of spies who are secretly trying to do some <laughs> bad stuff. I don't know. <laughs> no, some good stuff. Some good stuff. Of course. Uh, we got we got this secret agency feel that we try to carry on. It's a bit of fun, but you know, we try to just you know play it up a bit and like you know we wear suits in different places and you know try and look you know with glasses and can't see our and that sort of thing so <laughs> it, it's pretty good fun but in terms of being the voxel agents uh it, it's a bit of a nerdy joke just because like a voxel is sort of like a it, it's a volumetric pixel so it's like you know a pixel is like a 2d sort of dot yeah and a voxel is like a 3d dot and so it's sort of that concept so i don't really know what meaning it necessarily has to us <laughs> because we kind of make 2d games but, but it sounds cool right <laughs> it does yeah and it's interesting because you know listening to you describe each other and and you know, the the makeup of the company it, it gives you a different angle on how you can just explain each other and refer to each other and those types of things instead of just yeah. as staff or as members or you know your agent so yeah we're agents we're secret agents yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, we're a pretty fun company. Like, you know, we're, we're not doing this because, you know, we want to make up billions of dollars. If we wanted to do that, we'd be making boring banking apps. You know, we're doing this because <laughs> we love making games. We want to have fun with it. So, you know, it's all just about, you know, that like we're about having fun. We're about making fun. And, you know, we have a bit of fun with that too. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Sounds good. Well, hopefully you don't don't ever lose that. <laughs> Keep being in fun. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, you know, I know you guys have uh, you know, had had a fair share of success, and there's two awards that I know you guys have won. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one that we've won was uh, the IGF, uh, International Games, I can't remember what the S stands for, the IGF Awards, <laughs> which is sort of attached to uh, GDC. Um, so it's a GDC conference in China, Game Developers Connect conference in China, and they were handing out the IGF Awards, and um, we picked up the Best Mobile Game Award for the Asia-Pacific region for Best Mobile Game. And um, that was really exciting for us, so that was like enormous recognition for us to get that. It's like really a really impressive showing for you know Australia Australia to win that award like that, that's a pretty significant award especially in the indie gaming world <clears throat> to pick that one up sure. and so it, it sort of like it, it really you know with Train Conductor 2 which was the winner for it it gave us a lot of well, a lot of validity and a lot of recognition for what we've done over the past two years mm-hmm. and so it was a, it was a great feeling and um yeah do you know anything else great. of the other games that were were involved in that because I mean I can imagine you know it, it was in China is that right you said it was yeah, in yeah, in Shanghai, China. Yeah. So yeah. the amount of games that I'm assuming, because we probably would never see them, but the amount of games that are coming out of Japan and you know, places like that, you know, they, they, you know, they must be mind blowing compared to some of the games that are being created in Australia. Um, but, yeah, well, it's amazing the talent that comes out of Australia. Like, <clears throat> um, I, I'm not sure how many submissions there were in total to the IGF awards, but um, th- there was a shortlist, and in that shortlist, two of those games were from Melbourne, Australia. Like, the other wow. one is serving a shout out. He was uh, has a, the Journey of Life, and that's a really cool game, indie game, which is being developed. And um, you know, so there were two Australian games in this shortlist of I think I think it was seven games or seven seven between seven to eleven games which were on the final shortlist. And for two of those games to be from Australia or from Melbourne, Australia, that that's a really impressive showing. Like sure you're, competing, you're competing against a lot of developers, and you know we're sort of shining through here in this indie world of like a lot of talent in Australia. So you know it was a good recognition of what's happening here. Like we're making really creative stuff here in Australia. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's probably because you're from Brisbane, I'm assuming. Oh, of course. And that's why you yeah. stand out when you're in Melbourne. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're wearing, like, why are they wearing these shirts? <laughs> it's not that cold. So, on. <laughs> so the other one, I guess, quickly, you know, not that it's, it's less of an award, but um, the startup of the year. Yeah, we won. Uh, it was it's Mobile Mondays is the is the meetup. It's sort of like a, a meetup of you know mobile developers, not specifically games, but sort of any companies that are that are based in Melbourne and in the mobile space. And so we were recognised there as being the um, the startup rookie of the year, which was which was pretty cool because like we 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 don't really see ourselves as like a corporate sort of company, but at the same time like they sort of see us as kicking goals in that area, which you know so we have a bit of that. Uh, you know, without trying to sound arrogant, we got a bit of that maverick thing going on, and that you know we're about making good games, or about our product, and that seems to be you know kicking goals in the in the business sense. You know, in in the terms of sustaining us going forward, where something really sustainable is being built here that we can continue with over the next few years, or you know, hopefully hopefully for a long time. And so yeah, that that was also a good validation in terms of oh well, we're not just you know this is this is this isn't just a hobby. This is like a real sustainable business, and we can keep on doing this. And um, yeah, also on that note, we won um, the Amy Business Year of the Year Award, which was last year in 2010. So that was a pretty good one as well. So yeah, you know, it's, it, it feels it feels really good <laughs> to get that sort of recognition. Yeah, it would yeah. be. Yeah, for sure. Well done. You train train conductor two on your blog. It says in November was number ten in the US on the iPhone App Store. 
Yeah, well, Train Conductor 1 is worth a mention too because it was number one in the free chart in Australia. And, you know, it's just like both Train Conductor 1 and Train Conductor 2 have been doing really well internationally. Like, they I'm not sure how long we were number 10 for. I think it was actually a relatively short window that we were number 10 for, but it still reached that level and we're within mm. the top 100 for quite a sustained period of time. Like, it's a that's high quality game that's been doing really well yeah. in the market. So, that, that's fantastic. Like, it, it's a big achievement. And around the world, I, I'm not sure exactly how many countries we were in the top 10 for, but it, it was something like around 40 countries around the world that we were in the top 10, which is you know really cool and 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 in all the significant countries as well like it got a lot of uh it, it was a big game it was a good success yeah yeah it's well it's that's still a very good you know milestone to hit yeah yeah cracking the top 10 was a really so, good feeling i remember we were watching it for like for hours it's like or it, I, matt wrote up a script that every half hour we would update our rankings worldwide and we're just like watching it climb and just waiting come on come on number 10 come on and like and every time we took down another game we we're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> kind of reminds me of that scene in the uh the facebook movie that's just come out recently networking social network social network social yeah network. where he's uh he's got the number of um you know, people that are, are members and as soon as it you know they're all watching as it's going up to a million and yeah i, I can imagine it'd be something similar to that yeah, no, it's Except really with cool. three like, people. Well, that's right. <laughs> instead of yeah, a massive room full. So, mm. no, we, we, we cracked so. the um the three million player mark on, on, between both series, I should say. But, but we cracked the three million player mark on on both Train Conductor One and Train Conductor Two. I think it was oh, early this year, and that was really cool. When we cracked that number, that that felt really amazing. Like oh, <laughs> just to get imagine. that many players. Yeah. Well, congratulations. When Train Conductor One. You said it was it was free. It wasn't free for a long time, was it? Because as from what I understood when Train Conductor 2 started kicking so many big goals and all that kind of stuff, you actually put out number one for a while for free, is that right? Uh, no, we, we put number one for free. Like Train Conductor 1 was released in uh, end of July last year. Mm-hmm. and But um, on freeapaday.com, which is a website, which you, you're probably familiar with it, but they have one app or game a day, yeah. which will be free for that day. So like a paid app, which becomes free for a day. So we, we put Train Conductor 1 on free app a day just to you know get it out there and get a bit more attention. And uh, it ended up being free for about a week, uh, I think just a week. And um, in that period, yeah, it's like the number of people who downloaded, like it hit number one in the Australian channel. Charts. It cracked the ten. It cracked the top ten in the American charts, and you know it was just it got a massive number of uh, downloads, and it's just really cool to have that many people playing your game. Like you know, like I said before, we're not just about you know making money here. We're about getting our games out there, and we want to make cool games people can enjoy. So just be in front it's of that cool many feeling. people is awesome feeling. Like that many people are playing our games. <laughs> like we wouldn't have imagined this two years ago. It's of just, Mm. Well, I guess that's pretty impressive. Makes me want to ask, you know, as as a company, you know, and having overheads and all those types of things. Even though, yes, you 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 know, you want to just make sure as many people are actually have access to your game. So it sounds good to put it out for free. How much of a decision did you guys have to come to to be able to put something you've put so much effort into and probably so much cost? And you know, even to put it out there for a little while for free, knowing that you're actually going to be losing some kind of revenue from it. Yeah, it, it is. It's like we did think long and hard about it. Like you know, because you want to balance that. You know, we want players. We're making games because we love games. But at mm. the same time, you know, we've got to earn money to buy ramen noodles at some point. <laughs> and so, like, you, you got to get right. that balance in there somehow. <laughs> 
but um, like the way the way the way that sort of um pays off, I guess, is that you know, Train Conductor One it has been out for since December last year or December two thousand and nine, so it's been out for a while, and it, 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 it like it's still it's still it was still getting a consistent number of sales, but it wasn't you know it wasn't drawing any big bucks at that stage. So we thought, oh, let's just put it out there, you know, do it to get recognition to get the name out there. So it, it's a bit of a marketing exercise for the company, so you know people know that we exist and they can see the kind of quality that we're producing. So yeah, you're right that there is like some short-term loss but ultimately it's just great to have people being aware of us and what we're doing so yeah that, that that's the payoff for it that's a benefit yeah yeah sounds good that that leads in pretty well to you know you talking about getting your getting people to know who you are and the quality of games that you bring out so what do the voxel agents have planned for the future we're producing a lot more content for Train Conductor 2. So specifically, we've got some new levels in the pipeline, like two or three new levels, which will be coming out soon. Uh, we've got some big changes the way the game works. Like, I, w- I won't give those away too soon because we're still trying to work out exactly what they are. But like, like we've got a lot of uh, a lot of changes under uh, in a prototype stage about how we're going to try and mix the game up and keep it a bit fresh. So we're going to be rolling that out over the next few months. So uh, within the next couple of weeks, there'll be in, there'll be an entire new level, which is a really interesting new level. And then we've got a couple more levels, which we release over the next few months and then over those few months we're going to really revamp the way the scoring works we're going to revamp the way the game plays so it should be it'll be an interesting reinvention the way train conductor 2 is playing like not a massive departure not changing the game entirely but just like a nice twist on things like all the feedback we've gathered since the game was initially released we've taken that all on board and identified the major issues that need to be fixed and the features people would like to see and we're going to try and roll those out in a big bundle to sort of make it a, a really you know fresh reboot for the game so that's, that's uh, the major thing for Train Conductor 2. So it's, it, there's a lot going on there. But also with Train Conductor 2, we're looking at how we're going to bring it to the Android marketplace. So uh, it'll take us a little bit more development time. Like There's a lot of work to bring our iPhone game to Android. But in several months, the, the Train Conductor 2 will be available on Android. So yeah, that's a big announcement, which uh, is... That's definitely yeah, yeah, that's gonna something be to look forward to. A really interesting place for us to go too, because like we've always been sort of Apple fanboys. I won't, be, I won't be shy to admit, except for Matt, who's always been the Android guy, saying that like, no, guys, we should make Android games. So he's sort of uh, laughing at me and Simon right now, going, ah, so we're going Android at last. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, we're doing that. But like, I've actually like I've always been using an iPhone, and um, I've, I've recently been using an Android just to get familiar with it, and I love it. Android's really cool. <laughs> like, so I think that's sort of converting me over to the Android camp. But yeah, so. From now, like we're, we're looking at how we can bring Train Conductor 2 to Android and um, how we can have all our future games being on both devices. Like instead of just being an iPhone shop, we're going to be a mobile game shop. So yeah, that's pretty exciting too. So they're, they're the main elements. But in addition to that, I'd also add like we're, we're, we've got a prototyping phase on at the moment. Like we, we always have like an intense prototyping phase to work out what the next game is. So we're in, we're in the throes of that right now, like having big debates among ourselves about what we're going to make next. So hopefully we'll have something to announce soon enough. But yeah, it's a really interesting time for us because it's all like, working out what we're going to be doing over the next year basically so yeah it's good fun great well we look forward to some more information on that yeah oh yes <laughs> well i guess that you know I'd, I'd like to ask when you are going through those kind of debates on what's going to come next how hard is it to you know, i guess get the inf- get those ideas out there because you know i guess so much effort and so much energy gets put into the crank the train conductor series and now that you're looking to expand that there's so much thought involved in you know, creating that and then completely changing or you know almost wiping the slate clean to start again to come up with some other ideas how much influence does it have in you know the the whole train conductor series on the next 
you know, thing that you're looking at? Um, well, our, our process is really, like I mentioned before, that we, we had our origins in that 48-hour game competition up in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And that sort of really informed the way we operate as a company. Like, we, we tend to be really gameplay focused. Like, we're not technology focused, we're gameplay focused. And we're all about game mechanics. And the way we the way we sort of approach that is that we try to make quick prototypes of, of ideas. So, like, if someone says, oh, it wouldn't be fun to have a game where, you know, you throw a book at a screen. And then, you know, you should just be like, all right, well, let's try that out really quickly. Like, do a really cheap, dirt, dirty, nasty, quick prototype of it normally in flash and like just whip that up really quickly to see how it plays and so we sort of do that and if something starts to feel fun in those initial phases like after if you spend two days development on it to make a quick prototype and if it feels fun at that stage that's when we'll pursue it so it's always defined by what feels fun like we 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 never when, when we have these arguments with each other all these debates with each other about which direction we want to take a game we always just prototype it see how it plays see how it feels like because that's the only way you really know like you're never going to solve that argument through discussion you're just going to make it it, and then see what it's like and then when it when it's working or you identify what's working in that idea and you you chase up what's working and you just discard what's not working and it's a really iterative process it's sort of like like you know that analogy of peeling an onion it's sort of like that in reverse you sort of like layer up this onion (laughs) like that's how the idea grows and that's how we approach developing these games. Like we've got a really intense process of prototyping and brainstorming, prototyping, have another round of brainstorming, prototype more, and it just iteratively grows in this organic fashion. And that's how we make games. So that's like when I said before about how we're making, we're, we're starting development on our new game, but we don't know what the idea is yet. It's because we're prototyping a whole bunch of different concepts, any one of which might work, maybe none of them will work, but you know, we're sort of, it, it's a really interesting process to be involved in because when we're making a game, it's sort of an, uh, uh, it's sort of a discovery process for us. Like we we never work on a plan. We always just go with what feels right and what what should be what what feels like it should be pursued is what we will pursue. So it's it, it's heaps of fun to work that way. <laughs> like we can just um it, it's possibly inefficient, but you know at the end of the day you make a really good game and that's that's rewarding. It seems it seems a little bit like a throwback to where you guys started you know the 48 hour thing oh that's you're just saying your your prototypes you spend 48 hours on them and if they're fun you get you go with them it's that's kind of interesting yeah yeah that's definitely our process is like really bound up in this idea of like rapid prototyping if it's not fun at the start like we're not gonna we're not gonna take a crap idea and trying to make it fun we will take a good idea and make it even more fun like that's kind of how we operate like we we sort of have that we we have that luxury being independent developers we're not beholden to a publisher who wants you know a specific intellectual property developed into a game we can just like run with what we feel like we want to run with and um although that means that sometimes we can be inefficient like we're pretty slow in, in creating new games but that's because we invest so much time in making sure the idea and that the game is right so yeah we've, we've got um we've got the luxury to do it, that and like yeah it's great it, it means activision will never be calling you to do a new call of duty <laughs> i hope not <laughs> like <laughs> I, I really I really, like, I really like making small games like i get bored of stuff really easily <laughs> i must have adhd but the idea of working for two years on the same project kind of drives me a bit nuts like you know full respect to people who do spend that much time on those big games but i really love small small games like where you can just get the concept fast turnaround. Yeah. Sorry? Uh, fast turnaround 
Well, yeah, fast turnaround, but also you can really focus on the concept. Like you, you've got this core idea and you, you make like a single game mechanic really good and you explore what that single game mechanic can do. Like instead of trying to make a massive system or like system of systems that all interact, interact with each other in a complex manner, you just make like one gameplay mechanic and see what you can do with that gameplay mechanic. See how you can push it. See how you can like make it interesting by throwing small additions at it. Like it's sort of, um, it, it's more like, it's more like you can like creatively explore what a game mechanic can do rather than trying to get a it's trying to get engagement out of less rather than throwing more at it to create this illusion of like a interesting game (laughs) what's a good way to phrase it it's it's like um it's like making like making naughty bears it's like making that game uh was it naughty bears yeah it was they had an interesting concept but the game sucked and they yeah. just kept throwing more and more at it until it just was really, really boring. Yeah, well, that's it. Like it doesn't. Like for me, that's not the sort of game I make. It's always like I, I like to have a really cool mechanic and to push that in as far as it can go and to see what can be done with it. And that, that that that's what I find really interesting, and that's what sort of drives my passion in making games. So yeah, that like I'm really comfortable and I love this casual game space. Like it's where I want to be. I, I love it. Yeah, great. And it's good too because it provides innovation for those bigger games that are just like groups of systems you know yeah well they're important like, but like you know the innovations that occur in the casual space they work their way into the bigger games like when a game mechanic works in these small casual games you'll start to see it in the bigger games like it'll, it'll filter up that way and so you know yeah. the, like sort of the small casual space is where the real well it's where i believe the real innovation occurs because that's where the raw mechanics are really being experimented with exactly and when they're making those giant games i suppose they don't really have as much time to spend on coming up with innovations i guess well that and when you've got like you know a hundred million dollar budget riding on a game you don't want to you don't yeah. want to take too many risks <laughs> true but it, it's kind of interesting i mean you know you you say that you know the the team came from the 48 hour development you know crash course type thing up here um and now you've had the opportunity is this the first year with igda where you you know you worked with them in the game jam yeah, well, the Global Game Jam we've been we've been hosting. Well, we hosted down here in Melbourne uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was uh, like it, directly it was inspired by the Global Game Jam, which is like an international event that happens around the world. And you guys had a write up about that recently. Yeah, and that, that was a really cool event. But like largely, it was trying to bring what's happening in Brisbane with the Fab Forty Eight Hour competition and getting that same sort of thing happening down here in Melbourne. So like we we did attach it to the Global Game Jam just because that makes a lot of sense. But um, you know, it's really it's a local event. Like even though it's a global game jam, the experience is very very local like you know you're interacting with the local developers and it's getting those those networks developed it's about you know introducing people to other people in the field who they can work with and and also getting them to really come up with new ideas and to 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 practice being innovative i guess to practice trying to think really quickly like to come up with an idea in 48 hours and to make it and to polish it is a really big task so yeah it's a cool it's a cool event to hold down here yeah for sure and you know one of the questions that was uh, posed to you i guess you know, in in the article where we had a chat was you know the i guess to you the most important thing is it the ability to network with people is it the development of things is it watching how people actually you know, go about creating these ideas and you know making games from nothing in such a short amount of time you know i, I think it, you know that to me is probably the most interesting thing because that's what's going to drive the creativity in you know the industry for god knows how long 
is seeing new ideas, people coming out of the woodwork that just have completely different separate ideas and saying, let's give this a go. Yeah. Well, no one has a monopoly on good ideas. It's all just about like, well, come up with an idea, make it. Is it good? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like getting into the habit of doing that in a rapid cycle is really interesting because if you're making ideas constantly and and testing those ideas constantly, then, you know, you can start to get a really good workflow for, you know, the creative process without trying to sound like a bit of a wanker. But, you know, it's sort of like that. that, that is how it works. Like, you know, it takes it. it it's sort of like you got to push your mind into that space and like work in that in that direction. So, yeah. And the Global Game Jam is a cool sort of microsm of that development process. Yep. And That's during... Cool. I would love to just sit in for that. I would love to be able to go down there and sit in just to witness the kind of brain, the brainstorming like time yeah. when people are coming up with what their idea for their game is going to be. Uh, the you coolest know. thing is to watch the way they evolve. Like you look at them after four hours and you know they've got like a pink box moving across the screen and then 24 hours later you look again and it's like, oh wow, something's happening. It's like really cool. Like the, the pace at which it occurs, the, the rate at which it evolves is just fascinating. And also yeah. to look at the to, to look at the changes of direction they take. Mm-hmm. So they, they pivot so rapidly. So when they first start out, they might have one idea and they're like, all right, we're going to make game A. But by the time they're finished development, they're making game Z. You know, they just <laughs> change direction entirely and it works. Like it's still like it's still got this like logical thread running through both ideas but they're just able to quickly and rapidly change and pivot and be a bit nimble in how they approach their development process so. yeah so It'd just be really interesting to be down there i think yeah yeah so sure. i'll have to get i'll have to check it out next year yeah, well, I think um, you've got the Fab 48 Hour normally runs in, I think, August or October and um, up in Brisbane. And the Global Game Jam is in uh, February. Oh, sorry, January. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah looking forward to that. Something those. to get into. Mm. Sweet. After being involved in, I guess, the, uh, you know, not the participation, but more of the, you know, coordinating of, of the event, what have you been able to take from that now back to the company? Like our creative process in our company. Yeah. You know, we, we have been on the Train Connector series for quite some time now, and it's sort of like wanting to draw back to that rapid development cycle again, which we're doing just now, like in February, to try and come up with a new idea. So to move back into that headspace of, all right, let's rapidly, let's rapidly create a number of ideas and experiments and see how they work and how that's going to work with the team and, you know, how we can take that forward. So to take that energy from the game jam and bring it back into the company is really cool and really interesting. So you know, that's definitely one thing I want to do. When did you guys, or you specifically, get involved with the, the IGDA Melbourne? All three original Voxel agents, like we've all been part of the IGDA since we moved down to Melbourne. So the International Game Developers Association, they're a really good networking group, really good support group, I guess, or, or a social group, I guess, which um, exists in a lot of cities around the world. But like local Melbourne chapter is really active. Um, we have around close to 100 people attending every month now. So it's a, it's a big community meetup of all game developers and game students. And just, you know, we share ideas and, you know, we support each other. But most importantly, we just sort of socialize and, you know, touch base and share and communicate in that way which is really exciting but like we, we were involved in it um, as attendees I guess um, since we moved down to Melbourne so that's going back to April last year um, it's probably since the start of since the start of this year or just before the start of this year is when I got involved and sort of stepped up to help the organization of it or the administration of it mm-hmm. because uh, Giselle Rosman she's been fantastic in the way she's gotten the group started and really grown it over the past two years and um, but you know she's obviously she can't keep doing that forever so she's uh, needing a couple of people to step up so Craig Peebles and myself we're stepping up to try and take some of the load off her shoulders like Giselle's still very much running the show but like Craig um, is a great organizer so he's doing a lot of the organizing for the IGDA 
and I'm helping them out just like you know with what I can do to help like help keep the local community communicating and moving and so yeah it's just like it's a good feeling because like I got a lot out of attending IGPA a lot of help and assistance from the attendees and so to do what I can to keep the to keep the IGPA growing and keep it the cool community that it is is like yeah it's something that I like to do to give back to what gave to me so yeah great that's always nice to be able to give back I suppose to have yeah the it's a really good thing, especially for uni students. I think it's a really good place to attend because that's where they can really meet and interact with, you know, um, uh, I'm, air, I'm doing air quotes at the moment, but with real developers, you know, people who have experience in the industry, it's a good chance for them to see how the developers operate. And for developers, it's a really good chance for them to share ideas about how to approach games or, you know, if you have a problem, you'll just talk about it with with the other developers who are there and often the answer is sitting among one of those brains that attend the IGDA so it's a great informal networking resource like it's just and it's really good fun like it's a really welcoming community and we all have, we, always, we always have a good time so yeah that sounds good what are the main differences between Train Conductor 1 and 2 well it's well, Train Conductor 1 the very superficial difference is that Train Conductor 1 is set in Australia and Train Conductor 2 is set in the United States. But we did take a, a number of divergent design decisions between the two games. So the, the the most remarkable difference is that in Train Conductor 1, each level is of a finite length. So you can play the game for two minute sessions or you know one to two minute sessions. And once that time expires, the level ends and you know that's what you've done. So that's that's automatically it's a constrained experience. In yep. Train Conductor 2, we, we stepped away from that idea and we made like an endless play mode of game. So each level will keep on playing until you eventually crash one of the trains. So in that sense, it sort of becomes more similar to flight control in that, you know, flight control, you keep on doing until you stuff it up. So in Train Conductor 2, you keep playing until you stuff it up. So, um, it, it, which is an interesting way. It sort of changes the, the way the game sits in um, your daily activities. So Train Conductor 1, was very appropriate for very short stints of gameplay and it was focused upon trying to get the perfect run through so you could only get a higher score by being more optimal in the way you played the game whereas in train conductor 2 it's more of a survival mode how long can you survive against the level and so it changes the focus of the gameplay quite significantly um, the second thing which is different between train conductor 1 and train conductor 2 is that in in train conductor 1 we'd have minor variations between all the levels. So, you know, Train Conductor, uh, they would have different numbers. Train Conductor 1 would have different number of tracks. In uh, Sydney, there would be long trains, which would sort of throw a spanner in the works of what you're trying to do. And in, in the Melbourne level, there'd be a broken track that was difficult to connect over. So there were these minor variations. Those minor variations between levels proved to be very interesting. So we really explored a lot of the other variations that we were thinking about in Train Conductor 2. So uh, in Train Conductor 2, every single level is almost a different mode of play. Like they're all related to the same basic interaction. They're all the same basic game, but each level is a really different challenge. So, you know, in some there might be, you know, aliens which are drifting around and trying to make it really difficult to see how you can operate the trains properly in other levels they'll be you know to be set in the grand canyon so you've got to direct trains over the grand canyon to make sure they don't fall into the gorge and you know all these really different levels that have that are almost that are as different from each other as you know as they are from train conductor one so you know it's a much more variation of gameplay in train conductor two and that's um that's those sorts of interesting ideas is what we really want to explore more as we further develop train conductor so it's um yeah to try and bring out the variation and to use that same basic mechanic but to introduce variations to it that really expose different ideas in the way that the mechanic of connecting trains works and to sort of explore how we can push it against the boundaries of the game so yeah it's um 
on the one hand, like a lot of people do say that they like the constrained gameplay mode in that they like having that period of a, you know, a definite period of time that you play the level. But on the other hand, you're able to have a much more competitive high score experience in Train Conductor 2 because you can really shoot for high scores in it. So, you know, there's pros and cons to both games. They're both pretty interesting games, but yeah, we've taken them both in relatively different directions. Mm, I, I think uh, from my point of view, I mean, playing both of them, Train Conductor 1 when the first level is Cairns, is that right? Feels well, the first one is Alice Springs, but Alice Springs, Springs is sort of a tutorial level. So the first, like, real level is Cairns, yeah. Yeah, it, it is... Um... They're not actually trains in Alice Springs, they're like... <laughs> Alligators and uh, crocodiles. Yeah. Cardboard box. <laughs> a cardboard box on top of two crocodiles. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, you know, like you said, it, it is such a, I guess, a, a limited experience just to play that one, even though it is just a tutorial in Alice Springs. You know, you can only really get scores of, you know, mid 300s to high 300s um and it's always i don't know i've always found that kind of frustrating that i couldn't get a much higher score because Mm. it is just a tutorial and you know that's fair enough it suits its its purpose but it'd be nice to be able to say okay well it's a nice easy stage i wish it would just go longer so having that in you know train conductor 2 i find is a big difference it, yeah, it's an interesting point you raise because we get a, we get a lot of feedback both ways. Like we find more, um, you know, hardcore gamers they really want that high score element. Like they really enjoy being able to play for long periods of time. Yep. Whereas like the casual gamers really enjoyed the fact that you know they could succeed. If you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like in Train Conductor Two, ultimately you're going to crash in every level because at yep. some point the level ends when you crash. So it means in that regard, it, it to a casual player it can feel like you know you fail. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Because you crashed. Whereas in Train Conductor One, you could always reach the end. You could always complete the game and so it different things were rewarding to different players so yeah it's interesting so um we 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 want to explore that a bit more about how the time limit of the game can function or about how the score limit or you know how how that how we resolve that issue but um it, it sort of feels to me like you know you can have both things going on they're not necessarily in competition but they're different modes of play i guess so mm. yeah we'll see yeah, what happens just different modes mm. just like the arcade mode would be the time limit one sort of thing yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, like it, it, it's interesting to hear that. Like, it's it's also interesting to see who says what. So it's it's definitely like Train Conductor Two is still very accessible to casual players, but hardcore players enjoy it a lot more than Train Conductor One. So mm, yeah, good point. Well, thanks very much, Tom. You know, it's it's been an absolute pleasure of ours to have you on the show, and thank you very much for giving us such an in-depth understanding of the industry and what you guys are doing, and you know cryptically giving us some kind of an idea of where you guys are going uh, <laughs> we're definitely going to keep an eye on it and we hope uh you know we can we can stay close to everything that you guys are doing so thank you very much firstly yeah thank you guys I had a great time this is a really good chat yeah cheers look forward to it. yeah thanks man very enjoyable chat and interesting and informative yeah, yes cheers. and we do hope to have you on again and i guess uh from here you know, everybody keep an eye on the voxel agent uh, they are doing some some amazing things, uh, really strong in the community as well. So you know, only good things can happen from this point on. So congratulations, guys. I hope you get uh, more recognition as well for what happens in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. So that pretty much wraps up uh, episode five. It's been uh, a long episode, but we hope you've enjoyed it. It's been very informative and uh, you know, looking forward to uh, getting this out so you guys can hear it as soon as possible. I'm just looking at iTunes to see if we've got any reviews in the where am I Australian iTunes store? No. No. That's, <laughs> That's fantastic. 
<laughs> Sweet. Well, I'd, I'd actually like to give a shout out to um, Mark Campbell on Twitter at, uh, at MRC1501. He's actually got in contact with me about um, you know, possibilities of doing some writing for the site or even possibly coming on the podcast to have a bit of a chat. So I want to give oh. a bit of a shout out to Mark. As a standard, I guess, uh, friends of the show, um, you know, shout out to Philosophy, obviously, and a big thank you for coming on last week. That was uh, a great chat we had. Um, Craig Peebles, who's also you know, a friend of Tom's, as Tom mentioned, as part of the uh, IGDA Melbourne as well. Had a bit of a chat with him the other day, and that went really well. You know, shout out to Dino Raw. You can follow them at Dino Raw on Twitter. Um, Tom? It's uh, underscore Dino Raw. Yes, it is. Yeah. At underscore Dino Raw. Tom, did yep. you want to give any shout outs to anybody? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to uh, Tin Man Gaines. He's at Tin Man Gaines and Halfbrick, who are at Halfbrick. And uh, yeah, everyone, like, get in contact with us at the Voxel Agents and uh, on our Facebook page. You know, follow us on Twitter. We we love talking to uh, we love talking to the audience. So yeah, sick, fantastic. Thanks once again, Tom. Really, really great having you on the show. Uh, looking forward to uh, you know having another chat with you again soon. And that that's pretty much it for episode number five. So thanks everybody for listening, and good night from me. Keep an eye out on the website. It's always happening. And join us on the forums. And uh, good night. Good night, guys. Goodbye.